0: Happy New Year! It's great to be with you in this new year, whether you're joining us online or live and in person. It's great timing, actually, that you are here because we're starting a brand new series. We're going to spend the next six weeks in these Sundays going through six of the most well-known parables of Jesus. If you've never heard of a parable, it's a, a short story that Jesus told to illustrate a point. Jesus was a master storyteller. He had an ability with such an economy of words, which I often don't, with such brevity to be able to make a point that dug so, so deep that transformed people's hearts and minds. In fact, so powerful were these parables that in many ways it changed the course of human history. The problem for us though is I think we've had the parables for too long. Frankly, for the last 2,000 years, we as humans have unpacked and studied and taught the parables and so for those of us that have been around church long enough, we've heard these stories again and again and again. After a while, they become so familiar, they actually become unfamiliar because we begin to say, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh I know that story, oh yeah, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, I know the point point," and we check out. So familiar are these stories that we often assume that it's very simple that it's very explicit, but Jesus and His ability to tell a story was so subtle in such tremendous ways that actually in the first century, when the first century hearers would hear these stories for the first time, they were shocked. They were amazed, so much so that they either wanted to kill Him or it changed everything in their life. And so, before we even get into these parables, we thought it'd be a great idea that for the next six weeks, before we jump into the biblical text, to hear the biblical parable from the mouth of Jesus, that we would kind of wonder, what would it be like if we heard this story for the first time today in our modern context? You know, sometimes when you just look at something from a different angle, it gets illuminated in different ways. So, why don't we take a listen to this?
1: Once upon a time, there were two sisters named Heather Hey and Holly Hi While both sisters grew up in the church, only one built her life on the teachings of Jesus.
2: For me, faith and prayer is, like, is constant, like breathing. I don't disagree with the church on most of the big stuff, but I'm not so narrow-minded as to follow it exclusively. I give my time, talent, and treasure back to God because After all, everything is his. And to worry about something like money would be- Shows everyone how spiritual you are. Right? I don't know where it says that in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it does.
1: And then came the day when the sisters fell on hard times. Without warning, both Heather and Holly lost their jobs.
2: No, how could God let something like this happen to me? I've done everything right. We had a deal. I can't say I'm happy I was fired, but maybe God wants to teach me something through this trial. I'll tell you what it's teaching me, to never trust him again. I know it sounds corny, but i found that even when I don't understand what's happening, because of our relationship, I have a peace that passes understanding.
1: And while Heather slid into worry, blame, and self-destructive behavior, Holly saw the silver lining. And decided to do something she'd always wanted to do but could never find the time. She volunteered to serve meals at the local homeless shelter.
2: Are you seriously thinking of others right now? You've got to look out for number one. Get out there and beat the pavement until you find another job.
1: After working at the shelter for several weeks, one of Holly's fellow servers, who, as fate would have it, just happened to be the president of a new startup, took note of her great attitude, and offered her an interview later that week.
2: I don't know if I'll get the job or not, but either way it goes, I'm choosing to trust God. I'm on all the major job sites, and every day I put out positive energy to the universe. So eventually, that's gotta come back to me.
1: And because Heather had always spent every penny she ever earned on herself, she lost her apartment, and was forced to move in with her sister, who gladly took her in. And Heather lived out the rest of her days in her sister's tiny apartment, in the larger of the two rooms.
2: How about if you come help me serve at the homeless shelter? I want to introduce you to somebody. Okay.
1: The end.
0: (laughs) Could you catch it? Could you catch the parable? You know, when you hear it differently in a modern context, it's like, what? That's, what is that? Well, let's hear how Jesus told it. Why don't you open up your Bibles, if you brought them with you, or if it's in the queue in front of you, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. If you're online, we go through the new revised standard version in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, give us a little insight into the first of these six parables that we're going to go through over the next six weeks. And as we... Turn there, it's on page 788 in your pew Bibles if you're with us. And let me read this for you. And very interestingly, this is the conclusion, the final point of the most famous sermon that ever will be told, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is summarizing, he is concluding this this famous, famous passage by saying this, beginning in verse 24 of chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. Now, most every year, most every decade, this actually doesn't apply to us because it has the word rain in it. However, this is an El Nino year, (laughs) and we're going to see some devastation, sadly, throughout our city, throughout our state. Often, we don't think of nature actually affecting structures, but Jesus, knowing this very thing, presents for us in the conclusion, the the final point, the great summary of the Sermon on the Mount. He reminds us that actually there's two different ways to live your life. And it's so subtle, these two different ways, that it's so easy to miss. It's so easy to overlook. And so often, if we hear this, we say, oh yeah, I know know the point, then actually very subtly we are actually missing the point. You see, Jesus says right here, there's, there's two different houses that have been built. And I want you to imagine a house, whatever size house, whatever you want it to be, but imagine two almost identical houses. In many ways, exterior-wise, they're, they're exactly the same. The same roof, the same size, the same layout, same landscaping. Everything looks the same. The only difference is what's under the surface because what's under the surface makes all the difference in the world. Two houses, exactly the same, but one is built on rock and one is built on sand, And it's very easy for us, very tempting for us to then say, okay, I guess there's two different ways of living life, and of course, if I build my house or my life one way, and I build my house or my life another way, it'll actually lead to two very different conclusions. And often, the reason why we make the point that we do so quickly is often something that actually wasn't even included in Scripture to begin with. Open those Bibles back up. In fact, we, if you know or not, have added chapters and verses and headings to different sections of Scripture for ease of reference. So when Matthew first wrote this gospel account, this good news account of Jesus Christ, there was no Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. It was one writing. And we have added, after the fact, for ease of reference, for ease of teaching. It's much easier to say, turn to page 788, go to Matthew 7.24, 24, than, hey, remember that one part where Jesus talks about the two different houses go there? You'd be, what? You'd still be turning? I'd still be turning there. And so, we've added these things after the fact, and we've also added headings. So, for example, in this, my translation, where it says, hearers and doers, we can very easily draw the conclusion then that the two different ways to live your life, Jesus is saying, is either one group of people that just hears Jesus' teaching and another group of people that do Jesus' teaching. And many of you are like, yeah, isn't that the point? I mean right there it says, doesn't it say right there there's two different types of people? One hears the teaching and puts them into practice. That's the person that builds their house on the rock. And there's another person that hears the teaching and does not put it into practice and therefore they've built their house on the sand. So isn't it about a group of people that are inactive and a group that are active? No not at all actually. In fact so often we can think that the way to a good Christian life, the way of following Jesus has to do with what we do for God. And it's so subtle, it's so nuanced, and it's very easy to read that into the text, that when the storms of life come, when you lose that job, when that person walks out on you, when you get that diagnosis, it is so easy for you to then call up me or one of the pastors or one of your friends and say this, I hear this more than anything else, how could God let this happen to me? I mean, I'm the one that goes to church. I'm the one that prays. I'm the one that gives. I'm the one that serves. Why would God allow this to happen to me? My family who doesn't believe in God, my coworkers who, who are, are living this immoral life, why are they getting the promotion? And it's so subtle, it's so nuanced, but what we have done is actually we have built our house, our life on the sand because we think that doing Jesus' teaching is the way that Jesus asks us to live, but that's not at all what he's saying. Now, do I have your attention? In fact, Jesus, right here, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, is not comparing and contrasting good people with bad people. He's not saying, okay, in this corner are the people that go to church, and in this corner are the people that don't go to church. He's not saying, okay, these are the people that believe in God and these are the atheists. He's not doing that. In fact, because you are here, you cannot assume that he is lumping you into the category of somebody who builds their house on the rock. You're like, yes, I'm doing what Jesus is teaching. I'm showing up to church. Aren't I building my house on the rock? No, not necessarily. In fact, he says to all of us, I'm talking to you. If you're listening, I'm talking to you. And some of you, you're here and you're building your house on the rock. And some of you, you're here you're building your house on the rock on the sand. What's a house? What's an apartment? What's a home? It's a place that provides comfort and shelter and security and rest and a sure litmus test to see what you've built the foundation of your life upon is when the storms of life come. And if that security is still there, that comfort is still there, if you still have rest in the midst of that stage four diagnosis, then you've actually built your house on the rock. But if the moment things get difficult, the moment things get hard, I'm talking really hard, and your security is gone, your comfort is gone, you are restless day and night, you can't sleep, you're crying out to God in a way that you feel like, God, you owe me, what happened? Then you've actually, you've built your house on the sand. You see, there's two different ways to live, and it's so subtle. But all of us here are choosing one way in this moment. Again, Jesus is not comparing good people and bad people because actually, open those Bibles back up. He's very clear to speak to a group of people that are actually, they're doing good things, they're living moral lives. Why don't you go to Matthew 6, verse 2. You have those Bibles, pull them back out if you're online. Go to Matthew 6, 2. Jesus begins to list a group of behaviors, a group of actions, a group of exterior things. And in Matthew 6, 2, he says this. So whenever you give alms... Do not sound a trumpet before you, I don't know if we do this today, but basically when you give, don't make a big show, don't make a big deal about it, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they've received the reward, but when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, Jesus is not saying there's a group of people that give and there's a group of people that don't give. If you give, you're going to be blessed. He doesn't say that. He talks about two different types of people. Both of them give. And then he goes on in the next section, verse 5, and whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward. But whenever you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's not talking about a group of people that pray and a group of people who don't pray. He's talking about two different types of people and both of them pray. Then he goes on. Verse 16, talking about fasting. Whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, So as to show others that they are fasting, truly I tell you they have received the reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus, he's not talking about some people that fast and some that don't fast. He's talking about two different types of people, both of them fast. And he goes on and on and on. This is not about good people and bad people. This is about two different types of people that on the outside, they're doing the exact same things. They're serving in the church. They've joined the small group. They're attending on Sundays. They're giving. They're praying. On the outside, they look exactly the same. But on the surface... There's something drastically different, and what's under the surface makes all the difference in the world. Jesus goes on. Turn the page. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, pause there. I always used to read this, and I used to think that Jesus was talking about two different types of trees, one tree that bears fruit and one tree that bears no fruit. Somehow, I would misread that. But no, Jesus says there's two different types of trees. Both of them bear fruit. One is good and one is bad. And once I saw that and I began to catch that, I began to think, oh, oh, okay, it's very clear, it's very obvious what the good fruit is and the bad fruit is. I mean, I know what bad fruit looks like, I know what the squirrel getting into it looks like, I know what the worm, I know what a 14-month-year-old, you know, apple looks like. I know what these look like, right? No, 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 no. You see, the word bad is the word poisonous in the Greek language. On the outside, these two different types of trees, Jesus is making a point here, the fruit look exactly the same, but one is so good, so delectable and healthy, the other one looks good, but it's poisonous. Any foragers here? Any foragers here? No? There's a lot in the nine o'clock, I don't know. Uh, Get out there. Forage. It's it's mushroom season right now. If you don't know this, actually we live in a state where chanterelle mushrooms, which are phenomenal, amazing. Any French restaurant you're going to go to is going to sell these, They're going to be very expensive. But you can go, you can forage for them. In fact, they are in low-line wooded areas, typically underneath oak trees. And so as you head up towards Santa Barbara, the Santa Monica Mountains, even here, you can find these. Amazing chanterelle mushrooms, typically a month after the first rains of the season. El Nino year, that's a good chanterelle mushroom year, okay? Now these are amazing. The problem is, in the same area that these chanterelle mushrooms grow, another type of mushroom called the jack-o'-lantern, they look exactly the same. To the untrained eye, oh, that's a lot of chanterelle, oh no, that's like one chanterelle and a lot of jack-o'-lanterns. Chanterelle, good, delicious. Fancy restaurants. The other one, hospital bill. They're poisonous. And Jesus is making these points. He's saying on the outside, these two different things look the same. Two houses, they look exactly the same. But they're drastically different because of what's under the surface. Well, what is it that's under the surface that's different? Take a look here. Verse 21, Matthew 7. Jesus, hard-hitting, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Let's just pause there. To be a follower of Christ means that you have said, Jesus, you are my Lord. To say, Lord, Lord, means that you are emotionally engaged in that statement. It's not just a, a flippant comment. It means that you're in. Lord, you're you're my king. You're my Lord. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, pause there. Some of you, you might get into this now belief that I'm about to say, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to perform, you've got to show up, you've got to give, and then you'll get in. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. Watch this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Didn't we do all these things for you? Then I, this is Jesus speaking, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. What on earth? Here Jesus is saying that there are people who will even acknowledge God and Jesus as Lord, who will even live a moral life, who will do pretty amazing things, miraculous things, and yet Jesus says, but I never knew you. You see the word new is a relational word. You see, Jesus says that you can do all these things for me, but if it's not done in the context of a relationship, it's just activity. You see, that's the thing under the surface. That's the difference between the two different types of people who pray, the two different types of fasting, the two different types of giving, the two different types of trees, the two different types of fruit, and the two different houses. It's the type of relationship that's under the surface. I'm sure every single one of you, I've experienced this myself, has started a relationship with somebody that after a while you realize that they don't really want to be in a relationship with you, they just want what you have. Your connections, your position at work, your finances, and after a while you get to a place where you realize that they don't see you for who you are, they see you as what they give them. And you feel like an object. And Jesus says that many, many people believe in God, but we treat God like an object. It's not a relationship. We don't want Him. We just want what He will provide for us. And we even do all these things for Him. But it's so that He will give us something in return. There's a great story that I heard from a pastor in Manhattan, New York, Timothy Keller. and One of the things that uh, I love that he says was a story that's actually been passed down through church history. In fact, this is not in the Bible. Don't go looking for it in Scripture, but this is kind of like oral tradition. Again, not in Scripture. Don't look for it. But he tells the story of one day where Jesus asks His disciples, those who are following Him, okay, I want you to pick up a rock and follow Me. And so they all, they all pick up a rock. And Peter, of course, you've got to love Peter. He picks up the smallest pebble. I mean, the tiniest thing. He doesn't want to carry too much. It's, you know, who knows how far they have to go. So they carry these rocks. After the end of the long day, they get to the side of the shore, Sea of Galilee, and Jesus waves his hands. Not in Scripture, but in the story, waves his hands over the rocks. And those rocks, they turn into food. Equal size of the stone that they were carrying. So, of course, Peter, thinking he was smart before, now has this little munchkin morsel, a little half appetizer, a half of a bite. Wow. Oh. After all this, after the end, it's not enough for him. Jesus says, pick up a stone and carry me. Peter's like, I've got this figured out. So, of course, he picks up the biggest, biggest rock you can find. I mean, almost boulder size. He barely, under the weight of it, he's carrying it, and Jesus says, follow me. So, all of them, they're doing the same thing. They're all carrying the stones. He's got this massive meal on his shoulders, he thinks. And so, as he's following Jesus, they finally get to the end of the next shore, and Jesus says, I want you to take those rocks and throw him into the water. Throw him into the water. And then Jesus begins teaching. Peter says, wait, hold on, Jesus. Hold on. What about the food? What about the meal? And Jesus looks at Peter. He says, Peter, yes, you were carrying that rock. But were you carrying that rock for you or for me? And Jesus says to every single one of you, are you here today for you? Or Jesus says... For me. Do you give so that God will owe you? Or for God? Do you do all these things so that one day God will have to pay you back in return? There's a lot of books out there that say that. There's a lot of preachers that will say that. You just give a little. You get so much more return. In the end of the day, you are building your house on the sand. And when the storms of life come… That security, that comfort, that shelter, all of it will be wiped away. I experienced that for years as part of actually growing up in the church. I actually thought that to be a follower of Christ meant that I had to do these certain things. And so, literally, I didn't know it. I thought I was, I was doing the same things that everybody else was. I was serving downtown the homeless shelters. I, I, I was giving a little bit. I was praying. I was showing up to church. I, was, I even owned a Bible. I barely cracked it open, but I owned a Bible, right? I was doing all these things, and then my brother died, accidental drug overdose. Talk about a storm that came raging in. My comfort, my shelter, my security, my rest, gone. Because I had built my house, my life, on the things I was doing for God. And I was so mad at God. God, how would you let this happen to me? There was no relationship there. There was no trust. And the great news about what this is saying is that though there is a light that shines on every single one of us, how are we building our life? There's also a greater light that is Jesus Christ who says, no matter how you've been building your life up to this point, You can make a change today. You can give with a different motivation from here on out. You can pray with a different motivation from here on out. You can show up to church with a different motivation from here on out. You can do all the things that all the other Christians do, but with a different motivation from here on out. Not to earn God's love, not to put God in a place that He has to owe you, but simply out of a relationship with God where God looks at you and says, you know what, you are enough. Earlier in Matthew 6, 2, where Jesus says, there's some that give so that others will give them praises. The Greek word, the original language of the New Testament, the word there is the word for glory. One of the translations of the word glory is weightiness or matter or significance. And the truth is that apart from Christ, every single one of us under the surface, we're empty. We're afraid we don't matter. We're afraid we don't have significance. And so even what we do, we can fall into this religious way of living, of doing things so that other people will heap praises upon us so that it will actually fill us up with significance. It will fill us up with matter. It will fill us up with glory. But Jesus says that if you try to earn glory that way, if you try to have an identity based on what you do, you're going to end up even emptier. You see, I'm in great danger, just like all of you, of falling into the quicksand trap of building my house on the sand. It's so easy for me to fall into the trap of thinking that what I do for God, a pastor, supersedes my relationship with God as His child. And so it's very easy for me to fall into the trap of doing these things and getting the nice emails and the pats on the back and, oh, pastor, you did such a great job. It's so easy for me to build my glory, my weight, my significance on what I do. And the moment I do that, I'm back to build my house in the sand. So the moment I I, I fall short of that, I do less than that, somebody has a different opinion of that, and I get that one email, even if it's anonymous, little note, it can dig through so much that the rest and the comfort and the security and all of that just goes crashing down. So I have to, on a daily basis, begin out of a relationship saying, God, it's me and you. You're more than all I need. Help me to see me the way that you see me. Not what I do for you, but as your child. There's three questions that I've been trying to put into practice over these last few months that have helped me kind of begin my day from this relational standpoint. I want want to share them with you. In fact, this is gonna be a lens or a filter of which we're gonna do a lot of things in this next season together. In fact, you can actually see up on the screen there the words learn, be, do, and these three questions that I've been asking myself whether I read scripture or listen to a sermon or I'm reading a book. I'll ask these three questions. God, what do you want me to learn from this? You hear how relational that, I mean, it's a question in the form of a prayer, but it's, it's a relational. God, what do you want me to learn from this? God, what do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be in light of this? See, that's the key. Who do you want me to be? Finally, God, what do you want me to do in response to this? Now, keep that up just for a moment. God, what do you want me to do in response to this? So many things in life... You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, a lot of friends who tell me different things are like, oh, you got you to gotta listen to this, you got to listen to that. You've got you know, all, all and there's, there's some great stuff out there. But so many, so many things, especially self-help things right now, are about leapfrogging from the learn to the do. Hey, you got to learn these things and then you've got to do them. You have got to put them into practice. It's a new year. You got to have New Year's resolutions. You got to do these things. Do, 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 do. And we leapfrog over the most central and most important part of all of it It's the be. It's the eternal. It's the it's the the under-the-surface transformation. It's our character, it's our motives. It's who we are. And so I've been trying to apply these questions. God, what do you want me to learn? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? every day and everywhere with everyone because this is how we can follow Jesus in a very tangible, relational way. And so, I, I saw Star Wars on opening night with Jordan and a couple of people from this church and you know, it was 1230 in the morning and it took me about two weeks to recover. I'm not as young as I used to be. And uh, so, I mean, it was phenomenal. I'm not going to give away anything, but then I saw it again with my wife on, on New Year's Eve. And so, actually, I, I, I know this is odd, but I went into Star Wars, The Force Awakens, right? Uh, asking these three questions. And you're like, what? That's not a Christian movie. Well, hold on. I want to be in relationship with God wherever I go, whether I'm in traffic or in line at the grocery store or even in row N, C20, Auditorium 2 in the Sherman Oaks Arclight, right? And so I'm, I'm asking… these. I'm literally… I'm going into the second time of watching Star Wars, asking these questions, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And again, I'm not going to give away anything, but towards the end, there's this emotionally charged moment, four words are spoken, but you're His Father. And if you've seen that movie, you know that moment, I've, I haven't given away anything, but you're His Father. And the first time I watched it, it was, oh. And the second time, I was asking this question. And in that instant, my mind went a million places. As I asked the question, God, we want me to learn from this, but you're His Father. And in that moment, I was reminded of the brokenness of the relationship that I have with my biological father, how he wasn't there much growing up. and. I felt like God was saying, I want you to learn that you have an opportunity to mend that relationship. Don't wait for him. Mend it. Hello, Star Wars, Row N, C20, Auditorium 2. I'm having this conversation with God in the middle of, (sweak) you know, Star Wars, right? Your biological father, verbalize how much you appreciate him. I felt like God was prompting me, you, Drew, you've got to learn this. You've got to externalize how much you are so thankful for him being there, that father figure in your life. Drew, be more intentional with this heavenly father relationship. This is the middle of Star Wars. I'm having this relational dialogue internally with God. All this stuff's going on. Don't take for granted your son, I felt God saying, three and a half years old. God, who do you want me to be? And I got this sense of God's just saying, be a child first, be my child first. Out of that security, out of that relationship, then be a parent, then be a father. God, what do you want me to do in response to this? And again, not this audible voice, the movie was audible enough, but this inward sense of share that on Sunday when you preach. But I'm going to have to tell myself Star Wars twice. <laughs> and I realize that following Jesus can happen anywhere. As we've been saying leading up to this, it can happen every day and everywhere with everyone and simply these three questions have been a little tool that isn't about doing but it's about beginning with a relational, this is how you could be with God. God, what do you want me to learn in light of losing my job? God, who do you want me to be, even though they just walked out on me? God, what do you want me to do, even though I just got that diagnosis? You see, when we begin with that relational foundation, that's how we build our life on the rock. And no matter what comes our way, there is something that can never be ripped out of our hands that we can hold on to. And it's a loving God who has come to us personally, it's Jesus Christ, who even prayed before he went to the Father. God, would you give them the glory, the weight, the significance of the matter, would you give them the glory that I had with you from the beginning of time? It is the very thing that we've been trying to fill ourselves up with, the praises from other people, God actually gives us through Jesus Christ when we simply receive him by faith. So then when we are filled up, In that relational dynamic, then out of the overflow of the being, just a a child of God, then we can actually do the things that He's called us to do, but a very different motivation, a very different under the surface foundation it begins with. This is the year we as a church and you individually, myself included, can build our life on that relational foundation grounded in Jesus Christ. We can make that change. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment that we can be reminded of things perhaps we've forgotten or perhaps never even considered. But as we partake in communion in this moment, would we, would we be reminded that a life of religion and doing is very different than a life of following You? So, God, help us dwell on this truth, on this day, in this new year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.